This morning's scripture reading will be from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us, with the rod that will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. The Ten Commandments are God's first revelation for an entire nation of people to do his will. And they are still the finest example of a moral national law that has ever been given. If you travel to Orlando, I know uh, if you go to Disney World or Universal or whatever, several of you will inevitably have worshipped with the South Bumby Church in Orlando. And um, I I heard a story, it's it's the group where Josh and Rachel Smith were before they recently came back to Louisville where they belong. And... um, And I heard a story from that church from just this past Sunday morning, Steve Akers was visiting, and I had to share it with you because it sets us up so perfectly for where we're going this morning. They have two preachers at South Bumby. One of them is named Greg. He's a couple years younger than I am. Uh, One of them is named Ken. Ken is in his late 50s. Ken's fairly new to them. He's only been there since uh, September, I think, or something like that last year. He's fairly new. This past Sunday morning, the brother who was leading the opening prayer was just going through the things that he wanted to talk to God about. And in the course of the prayer, he said, and Lord, we thank you for our preachers, Brother Greg and the other one. (laughs) That's funny, okay? (laughs) That is hysterical. The best part about it, when Steve said it was just so awkward, but the older guy, Ken, got up and he made it a little bit better. When he said, you know, I always thought Greg was the other one. So there you go. I think that is hilarious. And I I find things like that really funny because, because it is funny. It is funny when you mess up somebody's name. And when we get that that moment is not really a big deal... But even so, the reason it's funny is because something has gone wrong with that name. And there can be so many different opportunities like that. You mispronounce somebody's name that is really similar to another name, Carolyn and Caroline, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? You can really make some people laugh with that. Um, if you talk to, if, if you know a set of twins or if you only know one of the twins and you call them by the other's name, something like that, all kinds of stuff like that happens when we mess up names. And all of that can, and please don't get me wrong with what I'm about to do here, all of that should be funny and innocuous occasions like that. But I think even those, as funny as they are, even those point us to the fact that a name, our names, are important. And the way that we use our names are important. And because they are important, you're ready to turn a pretty sharp emotional corner here, here we go. Because our names are important, We get into some pretty heavy stuff when we think about the way that our names are used as well. When a person is passed from this life, what do we put on their memorial marker? We put their name. Above all else, we put the person's name. And when two people get married, what is the one main cultural way for us to signify that the two have become one flesh? She takes his name. The name swap is an important idea. And then this one... 
when old age takes its firm hold and Alzheimer's begins to set in, what's the saddest emotional milestone along the path of digression and all of that? It's when they forget their spouse's name. I told you it was a heavy emotional corner here, and, and I'm sorry for that, but I pointed all out, the joke and that, to show you that our names and the way that our names are used, it matters. It matters in a big, big way. And so, I say all of that to prepare us for where we're going in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. We're taking one more step through God's ten fundamental regulations that he gave as the national law for the Israelites. And this morning, we land squarely on number three out of the batch. Now, I guess before I get to that, I should probably make a little bit of a reminder here that while the law of Moses as a whole idea is not binding on us as Christians These ten laws that we're studying here from Exodus chapter 20 are still immensely valuable spiritual principles laid out by God. Because the principles that they teach us are for a free society, for quality family lives, and especially this one's this morning is to keep us holy and spiritually healthy. And so their value for that is very enduring. It continues into our day, which... That, then, brings us to the third word of the ten words from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. This is God's command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I've got two ideas that I want to share with you this morning, Uh, two basic premises from this one command. So here we go. The first one, we'll spend a little bit of time on this, and this will be the familiar ground that I was talking about earlier. The first one is that this command has some implications regarding the way that we speak. It has some implications regarding the way that we speak. When we talk, we need to be very careful about the way that we speak the name of God. Now, what is that name? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, just 17 chapters in the same book where we are, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, when Moses asks God, and I go, he says, when I go to the people and they ask me, who is this God that sends you? What is his name? What shall I tell them? God says, you shall tell them, I am that I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. In Hebrew, The sound of that sentence is Yahweh, I am. God's name is Yahweh. Now, through various dialects and pronunciations and many iterations of all of that, it has come to us in the form of Jehovah. Yahweh, 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 Yahowah, Jehovah. You You see the digression of the word. And you see how it came to be pronounced that way in English. The point, though, is to say that to speak of God and to speak of that particular name in a way that is vain is, is really to do a, a great disservice to the identity of God himself. Now, that's the Hebrew name for God. You may also want to know here the Hebrew word for vain that is used in this particular verse. Uh, the Hebrew word means useless, essentially. Do not use the name of God in a way that the name sounds useless. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It kind of makes sense. For such an important identity, for such an important name, 
He would never want to use it in a way that it sounds like it doesn't matter at all. And interestingly enough, just to add a little bit of dimension to this word here, uh, the word the word that is used for vain comes from another Hebrew word that means to rush past or to rush over. And that kind of makes sense too, doesn't it? It makes sense why that word would come to mean something that is vain and, and something that we would want to avoid doing with the name of God. It's the kind of thing that happens when you walk through a crowded room and, and there's somebody that really needs to speak to you and they're calling your name as you go past them and, and you just, you're in a rush to get somewhere so you just you don't even notice right? It's the kind of thing that happens when your kids want to talk to you and you're in a rush to do something and you go right on past. Uh, or, or when you're reading a story and you're trying to go through it quickly just to get to the big plot point and somewhere along the line you miss one of the important words, right? This, the, I find that the word not is an important word to see it when it's in a story. Because if you miss that one, a whole story can completely change direction. It's that kind of thing. When you think about using the name of God, speaking the name of God, we need to make sure that we don't treat it like those occasions, that we just brush past the name of God as though it were any other word in our conversation. And I think the reason for that is apparent because God's name, like any of our names, is a representation of God's identity. Yahweh, I am. I am who I am. God's name genuinely means this is who I am. It's a pretty incredible thing to think, actually. And, and it makes perfect sense of the command that when you speak the name of God, you need to understand all the weight of heaven's glory is behind that name. All the weight of creation is behind the name of God. And so to speak that name as though it just kind of doesn't matter, it just fits in with any other thing that happens in our life is, is, really, is really quite a dangerous thing. I said this to you several weeks ago when we started this series on the 10 words, um, and, and I'll say it to you again, uh, practically verbatim, because it's just worth repeating, that when we speak, and I mean, when I say we, I mean the people of God, if the world hears us speaking his name in a way that trivializes that name, it's a very short jump until the world sees us living in a way that our lives trivialize the identity of that God. So we need to be very careful with this. We need to make sure that when we talk about our God, whether we call him God or Jehovah or the Most High or any other biblical designation that he has given for himself, that when we speak of him, we do not treat that as though it's a casual subject, as though it's a, a base thing. And especially, we don't want to speak on his behalf using his name to speak something evil against somebody else where the term cursing and therefore cussing comes from. We need to make sure that we don't do that because that's, what the, that's not what the name of God is meant to give us. Because again, it is a very short jump from trivializing his name to trivializing our view of his identity. So what do we do with that? How do, we, how do, you, how do you make use of that in the way that you live every day? Well, a couple of suggestions here and really... Really, they're not suggestions this time. I should probably just go ahead and take that word back, okay? A couple of things that we really must learn from this. Number one is to be intentional with your words. If you find yourself being one of those people that when your temper flares, when you get really excited, 
or when you're really down or just any extreme end of an emotional scale that you find yourself later regretting what you said and the extreme ends of that emotional scale, you need to make some real efforts, make some real efforts to rein that in. Because it is, and not to rein in the emotions, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but to rein in the tendency to speak without thinking. We need to be really deliberate in using our words intentionally, accomplishing something good with our words, and teaching people, teaching people by the way that we talk about God, that he does matter. And then secondly, I want to add this one, do not conflate the sacred and the common. The name of God is a sacred name. Amen? <laughs> the name of our God is a sacred thing. And to, to conflate that, to confuse that, to try and make them equivalent when they really can't be made equivalent, to try and do that with something that is common and with the name of God just isn't going to work. And not only is it not going to work, it is... And this may be the greatest injustice in the way that we speak if we do this. It is to demean the name of God. Our culture still has some understanding of this that uh, may help us to put the pieces together here. Um, does anybody remember, I can't even remember how long ago this has been, but maybe four, five, six years ago, that all the morning talk shows one morning had this big long to do about uh, this group of high school volleyball players that had won a tournament, a, a national tournament of some sort, and they had been invited to come to the White House. And th these girls had gone to the White House in flip-flops. You remember this? It, it really shouldn't have been a big deal, but every single morning talk show covered this like it was the story of the year, right? <laughs> that they went to the White House in flip-flops. Can you believe that? At the very least, at the very least, they should have worn flats, right? <laughs> well, what made that even worth talking about was that everybody could look at a picture of the president surrounded by this volleyball team in their flip-flops and go, that's not right. <laughs> that just doesn't fit. One of those is elevated, one of those is not. They don't go together. Now, if we can understand, if we can understand it on that level... How much more of an infraction can we see when somebody brings God's glorious identity-bearing name that spans all of time and all of the cosmos down to the moment when our kids are behaving in an irritating way or when we've just seen a moment in a game that we can hardly process? We're going to bring all of God's glory down to that moment and say, oh my God, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. And so please, brothers and sisters, don't say that. If it's a part of your vocabulary already, you need to start working on removing that. Okay? One of my, one of my favorite comedians, and they're always good philosophers if you pay close attention. One of my favorite comedians says, um, I don't understand why when people can't find their, when somebody loses the car in the parking lot, the other person always goes, way to go, Einstein. He says, I don't think Einstein would appreciate us using his name in vain in parking lots like that. It's the only time he ever comes up. Yeah. Okay, let's not do the same with the name of God. So don't say that. Don't say that. And don't say the name of Jesus Christ our Lord as an exclamation. 
One day every knee will bow because of the name of Jesus Christ. Don't use it when you slam your hand in the car door. It's not for that. It's for eternity to bow at the throne of the king. And please don't abbreviate them either and think that that fixes it. It doesn't. Okay. And Snapchat and texting and Facebook, please don't abbreviate them and think that that fixes the problem. It just doesn't. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Listen, you are the salt of the earth. If your identity is going to be that, then your speech must bear that out. And so, and so we don't use these phrases because the way that we speak, we do not want to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Now, That's perhaps the expected ground. That's where we expect to go when we cover this command. But can I tell you that in in reading the way that the command is actually written, even in English, I think there's something even bigger at work here than that idea. Even bigger than the way that we speak, this command is an overarching principle for how we are meant to live. And I know this because of the way that the command is written. Again, take a look at it in your Bible. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, it does not say you shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. It says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, it more literally, and the translation is fair, but the most literal translation of that phrase says you shall not lift or carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now that kind of changes the perspective on it just a little bit, doesn't it? It's kind of interesting. It kind of makes a little more sense with what Jesus says when he begins his model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. And he says, O Lord our God, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Now that prayer and that perspective I think helps us, and really the more literal translation here, helps us to understand what the third commandment is really all about. It includes the way that we speak, and I wouldn't have started there if I didn't think that. But primarily, this command is about how we live. Because when God says, you shall not lift my name in vain, you shall not carry my name with you in vain, what he is really talking about is the way that we live either faithfully or hypocritically. The command is for us to take the name of God with us in life, And to live in a way that it makes sense that we have that name on us. Now, for an example, so you know what I'm talking about here. Let's do a little comparison. Let's think again about the one I brought up a little while ago about a married couple. When when a man and a woman get married, in our culture, as it has been in other cultures in the past, she traditionally will take his name. I'm not saying whether I think that's right or wrong culturally, okay? I just want to talk about how it works so we can use it as a comparison. She will typically take his name. And in some way, you could make an argument that he kind of takes her name as well, that he is now providing for her. He is protecting her. It's his responsibility to watch over her name. And so they both, in some way, take on each other's names. Now, what happens if when they have taken each other's names... Either one of them goes and joins themselves to somebody else. You take a married couple and they are bound to one another. The two have become one flesh. What happens if either one of those takes that name that they are now responsible for and gives that name to a third party? 
they go and join themselves to that person in some act of sexual immorality. Now that gives us, that, that kind of gives us the creepy crawlies to think about it, doesn't it? Because we see the grave injustice that's done there. We see the grave injustice that's done to the marriage because that injustice has been done to their shared names that they have each taken. The vows that we make are that we will carry each other's names. My, um, my father-in-law, when I, he, he has the same speech that he gives to, to every guy that's going to date one of his daughters. Um, and um, so, you know, three of, us have, th- three of us have married into the family now. We can all quote this speech uh, pretty much verbatim, having heard it and having been... It's, it's a very intense kind of speech. Uh, he sits you down, you, you're not getting away from this kind of thing. Um, but he says, when you're going to date my daughter... There are five ways that I want you to protect her. I want you to protect her virginity, her safety, her emotions, her soul, and her reputation, her name. He said, because I have a good name, and she's my daughter, and I want you to protect my name in protecting hers. Now, that's our responsibility toward each other in a marriage relationship. But when we take those names on, and then we are unfaithful to that protective vow that we have made before God. What good did it do us to take the name of the other person on ourselves? None. We have in fact taken the name in vain. Now you see the connection? You see the connection to how we are meant to live before God. Listen, in both Testaments, God has talked about his people as his bride. In Ezekiel 16, in the book of Hosea, in Jeremiah 2, all these different places, God talks about the Israelites as his bride. When you get to the New Covenant and Ephesians chapter 5, we are called the bride of Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, we are as well for that matter. In, both of, in all these places, we're called the bride of God. If we, being the bride, take on the husband's name, and then we are unfaithful to carrying that name, Do you see how he could command and how he would be right to command? You shall not take my name in vain. And I will not hold you guiltless if you do. There's a vow that we make before God when we become his children. Baptism is that vow. We make that vow that our lives, our former lives are dead and we are alive together in Christ, with Christ. And to take on that vow and to take on his name... And then to go and waste it, to squander it with unfaithful living to him, is really one of the, is a sin of, of one of the highest orders. It's a tragedy. And so how do we put that to work? What does that mean for us? Well, it means, it means that we don't want to live under a pretense of godliness. Hang on a minute, I got a little out of order here. It means that we don't want to live under a pretense of godliness. We want to live out genuine godliness. When we take on the name of God, we live by that name. And it also means that, again, it is a sin of a high order when there is evil that is done, and it is done in the name of Yahweh God. I I do my best to be respectful as much as I can. And so this morning, I mean no disrespect necessarily except to call error what error really is. And so this is a bit of unusual practice for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. The Church of Latter-day Saints 
and their teachings on the fact that God not only approves of but encourages polygamy, which God has been very clear since creation that he does not, that is to take the name of the Lord God in vain, and it's blasphemy. You look at the history of the Catholic Church and the Crusades of past centuries that were done in the name of the God of the Bible, that's blasphemy. And it's to carry the banner of God, to carry his name in a way that is vain and that does it a a disservice. And then religious-minded racism, whether in our country, any other place across the face of the earth, any kind of ethnic cleansing that is done that is done with the name of the God of the Bible attached to it or with the name of Jesus Christ attached to it in some nominal way, that is blasphemy. It is taking the name of God in vain to do evil with the name of such a good God. Man, what an injustice. What a grave injustice. And so don't. Don't live under a pretense of godliness while you continue to harbor evil in your heart and in your thinking and in your life. And do not commit evil in the name of Yahweh God. And then this last one here, wherever you go, everywhere that you go, take the name with you. David, can you help me out? All right. Try not to laugh too hard here. I, um, Angie Cook came to me and handed me this like two weeks ago, so this is her fault. Okay. I asked, I asked my boys who that is. They knew. You must, right? That's Jesus. Okay. <laughs> what, is it what he looked like? Who knows? Okay. But that's who he is right now. Okay. <laughs> we, um, she handed me this on a Wednesday night after Bible class, and she said, hey, can you just store this in your office? I just want to make sure that... Jesus doesn't get hurt somewhere around the church building. Like, well, I do too. Um, so, um, so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll store it in my office. So I ended up walking around with it for like 20 minutes that night after Bible class. And at some point, Henry goes, Henry goes, can Jesus come in the car with us? Uh, like, how do you answer that? <laughs> because I'm not taking this home, but, but his question was actually kind of fair, wasn't it? Can Jesus come in the car with us? I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit proud of myself because I said, yes, Henry, he can. But this one has to stay in my office. But the point is, the point is that Henry's question makes perfect sense. Can Jesus come with us in the car? Yeah, absolutely. Can he come with us to the restaurant? Yeah, of course he can. Can he come with us to the game? Yeah, that should be the answer. Can he come with us to a work party? Yeah, I hope so. Can he come with us? Can he come with us? Can his name be attached to us at a family reunion? Uh, at, at any social gathering that we attend? When we go to the movies? Anything. You just start picking. Can Jesus go with us there? Yeah, he better. Otherwise, we have taken the name in vain. You, you, you can't, and that's the thing, right? If I put it in terms of you taking this to a restaurant... The, the situation starts to sound a little bit embarrassing, doesn't it? But you know what? That's exactly what we're in for. We're in for situations that are going to be a little bit embarrassing. When the identity of Jesus is with us wherever we go. But if we fall any short of that, if we choose anything short of that, 
And what we have chosen is to take the name of God, but only at certain times, which is to say, I only want to be married to God at certain times. That doesn't work. You have taken the name in vain. And so we need to be very careful not to do that. All right. Let's see if he stays right there without getting broken. If it breaks, Miss Angie, I'll make you another one. All right. There we go. Now, that's the question. That's what we have to think about when it comes to this third word, that taking the name of God, it, it, really has, it really has correlations to the entirety of our lives. It's not just a matter of words that you choose to speak. It is a matter of the life that you choose to live. Because as we said at the beginning, and don't put your Bible away yet. If you want to grab it, you can be turning to Revelation 3. As we said at the beginning, names matter. And the way that we use our names and anybody's name in a relationship that we have with them, it matters. And so especially in this case, to the present day and through all of eternity, the way that we use God's name matters a great deal. Now here's some good news from Revelation chapter 3. And I want to finish with this because it is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. The Apostle John tells us, And really, it's the words of Jesus he is quoting directly here. That if we will wear it faithfully, Jesus promises to put his name and God's name on us. Now, again, not so that we can wear it in vain, but so that we can have it and be blessed by it. And so, this is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. Our Lord says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This morning, if you are willing to faithfully take up the name of Jesus, then we want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that, to put on his name in the cleansing that is offered in his blood through the waters of baptism. And so if you believe that this morning, if you believe that he is who he says he is and you're ready to be saved by him, then we invite you to come and to be saved in the power of that name and let us know how we can help you with that while we're all standing and singing this hymn together.